compulsive reader. And um, I'm really glad to be at this meeting. It's been a long time since I've been here, and um, I know there's a lot of strength in this room, and um, it, it's good to be here. It's also good. Um, Everything happens for a reason, but I, I usually have a meeting, a men's meeting I go to on Wednesdays, and uh, a Saturday meeting when I don't work uh, in the valley where I live. And for the next few weeks, I may not be able to get to any, either of those meetings for the next couple of weeks, maybe or maybe not, due to some work commitments. And I've been thinking, what are strong meetings or what can I change my schedule? And all of a sudden, when I walked in there, I thought, you know, if, it's good to just remember that there's a meeting here on Saturday evening if for the next few weeks I need, so you, you may see me. Because uh, I, you know, I'll give you a little bit of statistics and I may jump around but tell you a little bit about what it was like, what happened, what I'm like now. Uh, but I've been in a way in June, in another month it will be 31 years. I came in in June of 1976. And despite 31 years, I still need to go to meetings. There's no graduation. It's, it's just different, you know. It just life keeps changing and program for me changes and life changes. And, and, but, but what doesn't change is that I'm a compulsive reader and I need to be here. Um, and I don't go to as many meetings as I used to many years ago, but I have to be consistent. And, and today is a great day because I got to two meetings. I didn't have to work, and I got to my spiritual maintainers in the valley and now this meeting. So um, today is a really good day. Um, and it's also interesting because... I've been, when I first started coming to OA, it's just to tell you a little bit about how things have changed, almost every meeting was two hours in the old days. All meet, almost every meeting was from 8 o'clock at night to 10 at night. There was a 15-minute break. If there would be a leader that would leave for 15, 20 minutes, then they would have sharing, then they would have a break, and then they would have a speaker for the last hour. And that's how almost every single meeting was. And it was like revolutionary if the meeting was an hour and a half or if it started at 7.30 and said 8 o'clock. And people at, at 10 o'clock when the meeting was over, people would go out to coffee for an hour often. But that was 30 years ago and life was, life was different. There wasn't all this other stuff. People's lives were, didn't, there wasn't a whole lot else. It was just things were different in the world in a way. And um, so, so when Mickey said I'm sharing for like uh, 40 minutes or whatever, I thought, oh, my God, I haven't shared that, that long. It's, I'm, I'm so used to 10 or 20 minute shares. So uh, it, I may ramble a little bit because I'm just uh, to adjust. But a lot has happened uh, in program in the last almost 31 years. And... Um, and a lot, a lot that got me here. Obviously, I came in young. I was, I was uh, 15 years old when I started. I was just uh, starting high school when I came to OA. And, um, and, and, and I think I'm going to go back. And there's a lot of stuff that um, I want to share about today, but uh, I'll go back. That's the best to start. I, I've been... I've always been a compulsive overeater. I'm not like some people in this room that maybe were normies at one time when they were children and then something happened and they, and they used food and developed an eating problem and a weight problem. 
for me, it was from the minute I got out of the womb. I wanted to eat. I loved to eat. It just filled up this, I always have this emptiness. It's not a moral issue. It's not a whatever for me. It's just, for me, it's easy to, the first step is easy in that I really know I have a disease. It's something that I'm just different than a lot of other people. That it's just, food has always been, I've always needed food um, to fill more than the hunger. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's something that I just always needed. Um, I was a fat baby. I was a fat child. I thought I was the ugliest, fattest, stupidest kid growing up. That was It, it started affecting my self-worth. But later I looked at pictures and I wasn't as obese as I thought as a kid. But in my head, I'm, I, you know, I just felt like the most obese, fat, ugly child. And that's how I thought of myself. Uh, I, I couldn't understand why even other kids would want to be my friend. I, I just didn't understand it because I hated my... There, growing up for me and being a compulsive reader and being overweight was part of self-hatred. I just grew up with a lot of self-hatred. And if I hated myself, I was sure everybody else hated me too and didn't like me. And... Uh, <coughs> What's so different today is I, I'm still a person that I need a lot of alone time. I'm just a person. I, 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 I'm just not an extroverted person. I need a lot of alone time. I, uh, today I enjoy my own company, and that's what's different. Today I, enjoy, I still need alone time and, and to be centered, but I enjoy my own company. And I like, when I'm alone, I like the company. But also, I... I I also have a life where I'm around a lot of people. I don't like to be alone all the time. And I have a job that I'm constantly interacting with people. And I enjoy it. I have a household that's always open and people are always coming over. And, and, and I have both and I enjoy both. There's, there's a balance. And, and I, love being, I like being with people today. And, 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 and I don't think people hate me. I, uh, you know, people respect me and I know it. And I, and I respect me and I like being by myself. But when I was growing up and when I was in my disease, I hated to be alone and I, and I hated to be with people. And that's a really scary place to be. And I think a lot of people, not everybody, there's some people in this program that maybe have a different path, but, but I think it's, it's very common in this program. It's a, we say a lot it's a disease of isolation, and that's what it was for me. And, 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 and it was a vicious cycle because the more I hated myself, the more I had to eat to hide that pain, and the more I ate, the more I hated myself. And you know how it goes. And today... Um, I do things that just make myself feel better, and I'll get into it a little bit more, but that's part of my program, is to do things that are healthy for me um, instead of disrupt, disrupt, yeah, disruptive. Um, anyway, so I grew, I grew up uh, very fat and just always gaining more weight, always, um, nothing ever worked. I, I didn't even know when I was real young uh, that the eating was making me fat. I mean, maybe it's normal when you're... I don't know, I have a daughter that's nine years old and she already, for the last couple of years, have been, has been aware that, you know, she needs to lose weight and she's, she needs to eat less. But 
that was foreign for me until I was about 10 years old. It was a really foreign concept that I, I didn't put the two together. But um, anyway, I kept getting fatter. I, and, I, and I have the same story as a lot of people in here. I was always the last one chosen for the sports team. I thought I was um, ill-coordinated and clumsy. Nobody, you know, nobody wanted me on their teams um, in sports. I, I really thought in school... I. Some years I did okay, but I never was very smart in school or did never achieve very much. So that just reinforced that I was a loser and, 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 and did poorly in everything. Um, nothing came easy. Sports wasn't easy. I'm not very artistic. I, I, I'm not musical. I felt like I had no talent, and that just reinforced all the negativity about myself. And, and, and I believe growing up that I was destined to be one of these people that always lives, that would be such a loser. I would always be living at home, and once my parents passed away, I'd probably become a street person. And, you know, I, I, I remember as a little kid asking my parents, well, how will I know what kind of job to get? How will I ever have a, I will never be able to have a career, you know, and, and how do you know when to get married? And all this stuff. And real, what I thought was everybody had a rule book to life, and I really felt that rule book was missing. I, I really, really, really felt that. You know, I couldn't put words to it when I was younger, but that's really what I felt. It seemed like everybody else, other people just knew how to be, and I did not know how to be um, and function. Anyway, uh, the only time I ever lost weight before I came to OA was when I was 10 years old, and... Um, my father uh, took me to Israel. He was, uh, he was from there. His sister's oldest son was getting married. He hadn't been back in about 12 years. And, and uh, so from, on my 10th birthday, we went to Israel, uh, just me and my dad and his cousin, who was my godfather, to go to this wedding. And I lost weight. It was, I was with, my, with them for a month, uh, two weeks in Israel, two weeks in Europe, and my mom, I'll back up a little, my, I think both my parents were compulsive overeaters, but especially my mother. My mother was born in 1930, right in the heart of the Depression, in, in a large family that was, you know, desperate to survive during this time with six children. And, um, and, and so my mother and my grandfather who lived with us, uh, when I was growing up, with, my grandfather was from Russia. And again, you know, he, he wasn't very heavy, but he was a compulsive overeater. And he had diabetes, and he would sneak sugar behind everybody's back. And, and he, you know, I'm sure he, you know, he came to this country to escape the pogroms and then, you know, raise a family and was very poor during the Depression. And my mother, like I said, was born in the height of the Depression. And so from my mother's side, I had this, you know, huge, I mean, cabinets. There was enough food. If the Russian army came, we could feed them. There was always, just in case, you never know. You know, and that's how it was. And then my father was a Holocaust survivor. And he was then, uh, and he was also born in 1930, so he was a child during this time and in, the, in the concentration camps. And, and, and so he, he was normal weight, um, but there was food, he had food issues. When he ate, it was, it was behind everybody's back. You know, a whole thing of fruit could be missing, and he would never eat in front of people. And he also 
didn't understand, and my mother did a lot of sneaky, my father hated that when my mother would get fat, my father hated it. And so there was a lot of sneak eating on my mother's part too, and a lot of, my parents had their own business, and my mother, my dad would have to go to bed very early, my mom would say, okay, if you go to the post office with me to mail the bills or help me pay the bill, you know, do this or that, you know, we'll get a pizza on the way home or whatever, it was, food was the reward. You know, but don't tell dad, you know. And then my dad would take me to work sometimes when I was little, and it was, you know, you should be losing weight, but I'm going to take you out to this big breakfast. I'm going to take you out to this big lunch. So I got all these mixed messages. And with my father, he would say, you know, when I first came to to the United States, he says, I was sitting around my aunt's house, and I was gaining weight, and then I met your mother, and all I did was stop eating bread and and desserts and I lost weight. Why can't you just do that? You know, for my father, at that time in my father's life, he thought it was so simple. That's all. Just just stop doing that. You know, and um, and I couldn't. Um, another thing, and the, and the reason I talk about my parents and all this stuff, I've done a lot of inventories and talked it out, and it didn't make me a compulsive overeater, but it it just made my disease work. All that stuff is what I've had to uncover to get out of my disease because it just made it, it was all this stuff. And Maybe it's better I had the food than drugs, alcohol, all that other stuff. I would have had something if it wasn't this. But So it's not like I'm blaming him, but it's just what was part of it. And the other thing with my father, and having been in the Holocaust and several concentration camps and stuff, he was like, and then through two wars in Israel, you know, all as a young, by the time he was 30, he had been through so much. And his thing to me was, whenever I would talk about a problem, my father said, what problem? That's a problem, you know? And he never said to me, he never said the words, look what I went through. He never did that. And he was not a bitter person, and I don't have a lot of that kind of baggage. You know, he, he didn't teach me a lot of bitterness. But I picked up the bitterness. I picked up, not the bitterness, that I see... My, why do I even have, pro- you know, that I'm not worthy of having problems? Or my things, I can't tell anybody because look what my dad went through. Even look what my mother went through. My, you know, so it helped reinforce that I had to keep it inside and not to tell anybody. And um, and so food food fixed it. Food stuffed it down. And, and also what I went through... Um, again, my own thing, but because of what my dad had been through, I always had felt the other shoe's going to drop. You know, I always had this fear of something is going to happen in the world. And when I was growing up, it was the 60s and 70s, and for me, I thought it was going to be a nuclear holocaust, you know, or that's what I thought was going to happen. And, And I lived in fear, and I stopped believing in a higher power as a very young child. And, and, and I started believing the world's problems were on my shoulders. And my grandfather, who was only, um, only you know, real good friend, I felt like we shared a room growing up, and he took care of me and my brother. And when he died, I was eight years old, and really that's when I stopped believing in God, because he died. My dad had a cousin who had, who, uh, he had, he had uh, right after the Holocaust, they had been together to Israel, to the United States, uh, 
it, she was like a second mother to me, and she died, died in childbirth. At, right after my grandfather died, and then my dad's only aunt who was survived died. And I, after that, I thought, how could there be a God to take these three people from me all at once? And, and so, again, more food. That's part of the time I, I was gaining a lot of weight. And, uh, and, 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 um, and I've got to tell you, I was really heavy. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly short, you know, average to short and not a big looking person but when I was growing up people always say you're going to be a football player because I was big I was destined to be a hundred pounder and when I remember when I was ten years old when when my mom was shopping for clothes when I was going on my trip to Israel I wore sizes bigger than I do today I think I wore like a 3436 uh, men's at, at this was nine years old even. I wasn't even ten yet. And always the husky sizes. And, and I weighed probably about what I weigh now, you know, then. And so I was destined, if I hadn't come to OA, I mean, I would have been a huge person. Um, I'd been dead. I wouldn't be alive this long. Um, a, do- a pediatrician had told my mother that I was going to be 250 pounds by the time I was 18. And because of the weight, the way I was going, and and also there's a lot of heart disease both in my mother's family, heart disease and diabetes in both sides of my family, and the pediatrician was really worried and said, you know, David's going to start having heart problems in his 20s, you know, the genetics are against him, and I knew that, and, you know, that knowledge did not help me do anything, it just made me want to eat more, you know, um, so anyway, I lost weight when I was 10 years old. That was the only time. When we were in Israel, my aunt over there was giving, was like f- trying to force feed me, and I was in a foreign country. I wasn't used to her food, wasn't used to the weather. I got sick the first day, and she was like force feeding me food. And it wasn't my mother's cooking, and it wasn't my familiar foods. Um, and I lost weight because I just couldn't stomach food. I was really physically sick at the beginning. And then the more she was trying to force me to eat, the less I wanted to. And it was disgusting. Like she put eggs in milk and it was just awful things. But, but she, was, she was also, because what she had been through, fat children, she thought it was great I was fat and she wanted to send me home fatter to show everybody here, you know, when my dad would come home, all the relatives would see how much she loved me, you know. So anyway, but, but when I came home, I really wanted to lose weight because I had lost weight. I came home, and I was probably about 10, 15 pounds thinner. And also when we were sightseeing, we are always walking. And physically, I was very active. And my father and my godfather was controlling what I could eat. So we only ate like once a day a big meal out, and the rest of the time we were just on the go. And so I lost weight. And that would work. If you go somewhere and you have no control, you can't eat, you know, you lock your, it's being like locked up in a hospital or whatever. That sort of what, it worked. It, that would work. You know, on a temporary basis, it really worked because I had no control. You can't sneak eat in a hotel. You know, at 10 years old, there's nowhere to get food. So it worked. And, and, and I think, too, I was, you know, my life was so, normally consisted of just watching TV and eating all the time, just being physically active and walking around was good for me. 
So I lost weight, came home, everybody saw me, said how good I looked, but I would look at myself and I didn't feel any thinner. And my mother told me about some diets, and so I tried this. At that time, there was something called the Stillman's Diet, where you drank a lot of water and you could eat as much protein. And my mother said, I'll make you steak and this and that and whatever. And I would start, like, looking forward. I'd say, okay, make me this, make me that. And I would, my compulsion would help me start these, this diet, I remember. And, but I couldn't, I couldn't go the first day on that diet. I went to sleep at 7 o'clock because I couldn't. I was crawling out of my skin because I didn't know what to do without food. And, and I woke up and said, I need something, you know. And my mom let me cheat, and, and that's how dieting went. I would try a day or two, and I just never could make it. And as soon as I'd eat one thing, it was like an a addict who got their fix, and it was like, <sighs> that's how it felt. And then I would, it wouldn't be like I would just, you know, it's different than absence because I'm not perfect the way I eat, and if I have too big of a meal or if I make a bad choice, I just go on to my next meal, you know, today. Um, but back then, what, if, I, if I was on a diet, if you weren't supposed to have a piece of fruit, and I had a piece of a fruit or a piece of bread, that was it, and I, I blew it, and now I'm going to eat all that I want, and I'll start again Monday. And, and then Sunday night, of course, binge on everything. So I was gaining... Trying to diet, once I learned about these diets, that's when I was gaining more weight than before the diets. You know? That, that was when, when I was zooming up. Um, when I was 12, yeah, I guess when I was 12, my mother, and when I was 12, my mother would have been 42. So, yeah, my mother was told she had like six months to live because she was really bad. She was pre-diabetic. She was at hypertension and heart and heart disease at 42 and she was and her doctor said you like you have six months if you don't lose weight you'll be dead in six months and through a lot of coincidences three people in a row within a week told her about OA and so she started coming to OA um, in 1973 I guess in the summer sometime and she pulled and I did go to a few meetings with her she made me go with her and it's like you people, I don't want to have anything to do with you people. You're, you know. And my mother right away got into this thing, and she had all these OA friends, and all she's talking about is OA, and I thought it was so disgusting, you know, just disgusting. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and I just, you know what it was? I couldn't even phantom if I didn't have food to fill the middle. If, I mean, that was really what it was. It was... I was in fear. It would be like I could not see life would not be worth living if I couldn't have my food is how I felt. Um, and I also thought, and for me it's not true, but I thought I'd have to give up. I never could have dessert again. I could never have this again. And for me, absence isn't, there isn't one thing that I can never have. Um, but to just even thinking about it scared me to death. Um, so, so anyway, uh, that was it. I you know, went to a few meetings, went through junior high school, found I, I did well. Uh, in junior high school, I did well in a couple classes. Um, a few things I heard in a way, like don't take the first bite. And in junior high, they had coffee cake. And my cousin told me she gained a lot of weight eating the coffee cake at, at the same school. So I said, okay, I'll do what those OA people say. I just won't take the, I won't eat the coffee cake. And every day I'd say, okay, 
See what they said? No way, don't take the first bite. But as soon as I ate the coffee cake once, every day I had to have the coffee cake. And then a month or two later, I had to have two. And then three. And then I would, I remember like, I don't, there was a time I'd stop it, and I'd go back to, okay, do what they said in a way. And then, you know, I'd break it. But there were some things that did connect from OA. Um, and, and by the time, the last year, just before I came to OA, uh, when I was graduating junior high school, I really felt like in junior high I had done well in a couple classes um, and, and realized I wasn't as stupid as I thought. And I really felt like high school is my last chance. I'm going to either change my life by high school or my life will be over. I mean, grandiose thinking as a teenager, but that's what I really thought. And, um, and I had tried in about five years span, I had tried so many different diets. Every Monday I was going to try another diet. So, you know, there were hundreds of times I tried. So I, even though I came in young, I tried hundreds of Mondays that I was trying new diets. In the last year, I was on this high roughage diet, and it wasn't specific, but it was, you know, you ate, like, lots of cabbage, red cabbage, I remember, and whatever. And, and I could binge on food. See, that's why there isn't specific food I, I can never have. But I would, you know, if I could put enough salad dressing, red cabbage was palatable, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I could, I could binge on anything if I make it taste good enough. Uh, but anyway, there were days... Just before I came to OA, there were days that I would eat that healthy, high roughage food, you know, and have take cottage cheese and fruit to, to lunch and whatever. I stopped being on a specific diet is what happened because it's just like I could just couldn't do it. I burned out in a very short time. I burned out of diets, and I almost saw that either some days I was willing to eat these healthier foods and other times I just like could binge. I, it, it, it. You know, I, I guess I started working step one before I even really came to OA, you know. And in 1976, June, my mother, there was a convention in, here in L.A., and my mother was in and out of OA, and she was back going to OA, and one of her friends who had brought her into OA had a son my age, and she said, you know, there's a team meeting in Beverly Hills, and Michael's going to go on Wednesday. You know, do you want to go? And I said, Okay. And that was how I started going to OA. I didn't, you know, and then my mother said, you know, me and your dad have been talking about how fat you're getting. And that's all it would have taken to say, screw you, I'm not going to go, I'm, you know. But that was the first miracle. I didn't say, screw you, I went. And I went for months and months during that summer of 76, but I was not, OA was not going to be for me. You know, and and the second miracle is when schools, when high school started in September and the new TV season started, and I was missing my Wednesday shows, I didn't stop going to OA. I don't know why, because my plan was to, I mean, my shows were so important, you know, much more important than the stupid OA meeting. But I went, I didn't stop going, and and I was starting to binge at the student store in high school, and the leader of the meeting, who later became my sponsor. It was the, one of the first times I spoke up at that meeting because it was more like a fellowship than a, it was not a structured meeting like, like, we, like we have in regular OA, but it was just like about eight of us sitting around talking. And uh, I remember one of the first times I spoke up and I said, how do I stop binging at the student store? And the leader said, why don't you call in your food? And this was about October of 76. I don't know the exact date, but when I left the meeting, this friend that... Uh, this uh, friend of mine said, 
Well, do you want to call me tomorrow and tell me what you're going to eat? And that's when I date my absence. And that's why it wasn't a diet. I didn't stop eating anything in particular. I just started calling in my food. And, and that started this journey that's been over 30 years of abstinence. I, I, you know, I wasn't planning, and I really didn't want to lose, well, I, of course I wanted to lose weight, but I wanted to wake up thin, you know. I just wanted to stop gaining weight. That was my biggest thing. If I could just stop gaining weight, and, you know, just by saying what I was going to eat, all of a sudden I would lose five pounds. You know, I weighed myself, I was five pounds less. All of a sudden I got sick and couldn't eat for a few days, and, and I didn't gain it back when I felt better. All of a sudden I could feel bones that I'd never felt before. Um, and I lost 25 or 30 pounds in a year, and I don't know how it happened. The other thing to just sort of jump a little bit, um, I really, that was my OA, just once a week, calling in my food, whatever. In 1977, they started a meeting uh, with a, a Serenity Sunday as they started a Saturday night away meeting, and they decided before the meeting to have a team meeting. And it was only me and this friend coming to that meeting, and my mom said, well, why don't you make flyers and go to some other meetings to announce it? And my mother was going to this big Monday night meeting, so I started going with her to this Monday night meeting. So all of a sudden, from I wasn't going to do OA my mother's way, I'm going on Wednesday, I'm going on Saturday, and I'm going on Monday. And then my mother tells me about a delegates meeting that you can, you know, talk to all the meetings. So I, we make up flyers, and I go to a delegates meeting, and I get elected to the intergroup or appointed to the intergroup board, and they didn't know what to do with it you know, almost 16-year-old, so they made a team committee for me, and I'm getting involved in service. And we, that first summer we had a camp, out, an OA teen camp out, and we had like 30 teenagers come, you know, from all over the state. And, and all of a sudden this person who had no friends and no fellowship, it's a year later, and I've got all these people that are fellowship with me. You know, in that Saturday meeting... It was only me and this friend Michael that were coming to that meeting. All of a sudden during the summer, we said, how do we get people? We said, we'll do a barbecue. Bring your own food. We'll have a barbecue. You mentioned food. Compulsive readers come. <laughs> All of a sudden, we had a set. That meeting took off. I mean, took off five, six people. And, and I was so afraid. I remember in junior high trying to go to dances and terrified of girls. I mean, just terrified. And then... We heard about this A dances on Saturday nights, and I remember about six, eight of us, guys and girls, decided all to go together to this A dance and walk through our fears. And, you know, what, it was just so amazing what happened. You know, and all of a sudden, this person who was afraid of people, I had a fellowship I had, and, and people started loving me in a way. And I still didn't, I still, when I would think about myself, I would cringe. That's how, you know, if I would think about my past, I would cringe. And all of a sudden, people started loving me enough that I started saying, maybe I'm not so bad. I started working the steps. I thought everybody hated me. And the leader of this team meeting, who was an adult, said, why don't you get a sponsor? And I was sure he must like everybody. He must like everybody, but he can't like, well, he must like most people, but he couldn't like everybody. So if he doesn't like everybody, he doesn't like me. That's how my logic, that's how this head still works to this day. Uh, except I don't listen to it. But then I did. But somehow, another miracle is I asked him to be my sponsor. And he said yes. And, and, and he started having me write an inventory. And after months and months of writing, I gave it away. And 
You know, I hadn't believed in God up to that point. And I just left it alone because my mother... Excuse me, my mother had not believed in God and then when she came to OA, even though she never really got OA, she felt like she got, she got spiritual by coming to OA. And anyway, I just decided to leave the God part. I just wasn't going to deal with the God part. It was too scary, too depressing because there couldn't be a God, you know. And then we were driving a bunch of these teens that I started becoming friends with. Somebody was asked to speak in Long Beach and she, got, she said, would a bunch of you come with me for support? And we're all driving to Long Beach and they're all talking and they're saying, how could anybody not believe in God when all of us a year ago were so miserable and had no friends and no life and a year later all of us have been in our way here and look at the miracle we all are and that was my spiritual experience that was when there could be no way there wasn't a God if all this didn't happen you know I mean if there wasn't a God how could my life have turned around in one year so dramatically you know and, and to this day some days I absolutely logically don't believe there's a God but it 30 years, I just act as if I meditate and pray to this God I don't believe anyway, you know, and do all this stuff. But there's times I just absolutely don't believe in God, but I act as if anyway, and I know that everything happens for a reason, and I still don't know what God is, but but there's something, it works, you know, it works. Uh, another spiritual experience I had, in fact... I was afraid of AA meetings. That was like, oh, those alcoholics, you know. And I went, there was, OA was not as big, obviously, a long time ago. And there was a very powerful, maybe it's still here on Thursday nights, an AA meeting in this church. And I went to it. And I, found, I, walked, I walked through all these fears that I had. Anyway, there was a speaker talking about um, the first step is the only step we do perfectly. And all the others were always working. And if we're always working him, we don't have to believe in God. All we have to do is start coming to believe in God or opening up and start on that road to turning it over because we're always working the steps. And that has helped me so much because when I don't believe, but I'm, you know, I'm on the path to know whatever God or whatever a higher power is, that's all it takes to work in these steps, you know. Um, so I'll fast forward to today. Um, with this program, like I said, I've learned, I like myself. I found out I'm not so stupid and dumb. I went through uh, five years of a four-year college. It took me five years, but I went through college with this program, you know, and without having to binge to get through it. And I found out I wasn't so stupid. I've been in the same job. I work in a bank. How many years? 26, 27, something like that. Uh, I work, you know, um, Nowadays, I'm not so young compared to the other people, but at the time when I was, uh, when I got out of school and started working my way up in, in, in my uh, company, I was the youngest person made a vice president, or one of the youngest. I was the youngest manager at that time. Um, you know, and it wasn't, and I'm telling you this not for ego or anything like that, but it was all direct. It was this program, and I knew it. That's the thing is, and I knew it, and I still know it today. I couldn't have gone from where I was going to get what some of these outside things in my life without this program. And, and another thing is giving service. I gave a lot, and I get 
I give my services different today, but I gave a lot of service, and that kept me coming when I wanted to leave, when the disease said, it's easier to eat. You know, or after I lost some weight and I stopped getting the accolades for looking normal, you know, that's what kept me coming back. And that service, and, and it, it made me feel part of a way. It was, I never felt part of my family. I never felt part of school, synagogue, anything. But that giving service in a way, it made me feel part of it. And then I learned to also give service to my family, other things. And it's helped me in work. I mean, and, and so I don't do service because because it's a good career move, but my God, how much it's helped me live in the world. Whatever it is, all those world things, I got to live, learn in a way, and then apply these same principles outside. You know, um, before I was a manager of a bank, I used to be a loan officer, and people would be afraid of taking out a home loan or buying a car, and I would just sit with customers like they were giving me their inventory and let them talk and talk about when, you know, their fears and, I was one of the I was I was promoted so quickly and I did so well because I just treated people like I treat, treated away members, you know. Um, and it's nice. Um, let's see. Um, what I, I want to talk for a couple minutes uh, about what life is like today. Uh, I'm married uh, to a lady who's I knew from away knew through away friends. She's in away also. Uh, we didn't meet in a way, but through friends. But um, but to be able to be in a relationship, and we have a, a, a house, and we have twins, um, and we have we have a life. You know, never thought possible. I have a house of people. Uh, we have a, a my wife's best friend, who's also in a way husband passed away about a year ago, just suddenly, and she, just by miracle, just about a year or so before he died, they moved close, you know, a few blocks from us. This person, you know, says she feels very comfortable coming to our house and, and comes often. And there's other people. There's other friends of ours. And our house is sort of like central, sort of people central. I can say people feel comfortable. And, and, and that's, this is more than any money, any drug, any food can make me feel. To just have a house where people say they, they feel comfortable. Even when they're going through things, they just feel so comfortable being in our house. You know, that, that's more than I could have ever wanted. I've had my, some of my work parties at my house, and I thought, you know, if I could hold this at the fanciest hotel or whatever, have, you know, $100 plate dinner, I would, it wouldn't be as the feeling I get of just letting people in my home and being the kind of person that can, that, that can do that. Um, today my wife is sick, and uh, tonight through our synagogue there's, they're starting a uh, Havara, which means like friends, a, a, a group. And I was looking forward after this meeting, we're having our first dinner, this group of like, I think eight couples or whatever, and my wife can't make it, and I thought, what are we going to do? And then, my, uh, um, anyway, I found out that there's a couple in OA that also goes to our synagogue that are going to be there, and the wife can't make it, and the other husband said, I hope David's going to go, so I'm not the only one alone. And so I'm going to go anyway, you know, even though it's, I don't like going alone to something like that. But I'm going to go, and I look forward to having new people in my life, and thank God there's some, you know, somebody from OA that's also going to be there. Um, today, this afternoon, um, 
I took my kids. My son is autistic, and, and to be able to deal with a child like that, by the way, you know, I didn't think, especially being a little older parent, how am I going to deal with children? My life was so, so whatever. And to be able to deal with him and, and handle him and give him love and patience, it's tested my program. It also is why I can't go to lots of meetings like I used to or meditating sometimes in the morning when there's lots of stuff going on uh, with kids and with my son especially. But anyway, uh, we're sp- I, I decided to take him to see Shrek this afternoon. And, I w- and anyway, it was sold out, the one we were going to see, and the next one I couldn't get to this meeting in time. And I thought my son would cut things like that, make my son unglued. And he just accepted, we'll just go tomorrow. And my daughter just started crying. And I just wanted to, and I remember, like, I want to do what my, I wanted, my disease part wanted to, to tell her, like, my parents would tell me, I'll give you something to cry about her. You ungrateful brat. I just wanted to kill her because there was nothing we could do. And here my son is accepting it, you know, and she's not. Or, or I want to say, I'll buy you dessert. You know, I wanted to say that to her. And I just bit my tongue, and I just said, let's... You know, we have food. We were going to eat it in the movie theater. Let's find a nice table. Let's make this a nice afternoon. We'll do this. We'll do that. And I could just take care of my program, work my, you know, just say the serenity prayer so I could just be a loving parent to her until she got over it. And then she said, I don't know why I'm upset. Tomorrow will be good enough. But, you know, thank God I let her go through it. I'm not always... I don't always work my program. There's times that I say things I shouldn't say. But more times I am, but it's because of this program. If it wasn't, I would say the same things my parents would have said to me. Because I didn't know any better. I'm sure my parents didn't know any better. Um, what else today? Um, you know, with my kids, I can give them spirituality. I'm not a religious person, but we're active in a synagogue. Uh, there's routines we do. My parents, I felt, were hypocritical. They made us go to synagogue, but they never did. And so I don't do it. We do it together. We go as a family at least once a month. Friday nights, I had a, a rabbi years ago that used to say, he's religious, he loves Shabbat, which is our Sabbath, and, and he keeps it. But he says, if you can't keep the full 24 hours, if you just come to synagogue on Friday night and keep it for an hour, or keep it for two hours... That's better than nothing, which is different than what a lot of Jewish Orthodox people say. But thank God this person, thank God I had program in this rabbi in in our lives. And so that's my motto. I can't, I'm in the world, I can't, I would love if I could be a religious Jewish person and have 24 hours of meditation and, and God, and I just, it doesn't work. But Friday nights... We do, you know, we either go to synagogue or we have people at our house for, for dinner. We do certain rituals with the kids. And, and I can give my kids, you know, I'm not hypocritical with my kids. And, and they're getting God. They're learning what God is. You know, even sometimes I do it and I say, this doesn't, I don't feel like God's here when I'm doing this. But, but they, they get it. Especially my daughter gets, you know, she'll talk about God all the time. So anyway, I'm, I'm really grateful for having shared here because by sharing my program, it just helps me remember where I come from. It's so easy to forget. You know, people see me and think, oh, you know, it's bad work, whatever, you know. They don't know I'm a compulsive overeater. I know it. I come here. I have to remember where I come from. So easy to forget. I'm, I'm grateful for you all listening to me. 
hence nodding just makes me know I'm in the right place. And, uh, and thank you all very much for being here.